Hey everyone, welcome back to the pod. I'm Emma, one of your co-hosts and an intern at the college. And today I'm with my co-host, Andrea, Alexandria, excuse me, sorry, Jaskowski, <laughs> back with the all-new episode of Michigan State University's College of Arts and Letters Liberal Arts Endeavor podcast. Hi everyone, this is Alexandria, back again with another podcast. Dean Long, it's so great to have you back with us today. It's been a long time since we've had you here, so welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back. I had a great time listening to the podcast while I wasn't on it, and you guys are doing a great job. It's it's you know, when I hear the music, you know, I start feeling, oh, okay, here here we go. We got <laughs> we got to do this. So I'm a huge fan of the pod, even when I'm not on it. So I'm glad to be back back in the saddle. Well, we always love having you here, and we're excited to have you back. Um, okay, so I have a story to tell you guys. Um, so for all of the interns at the at College of Arts and Letters, we do this podcast, but we also get to write content for our website, the Col- uh, College of Arts and Letters website, cal.msu.edu. So the other day I was writing a story about the Citizen Scholars Program, and they got a sneak peek at a special exhibit at the Eli and Edith Broad Art Museum. So I went to the art museum, and I got to take some photos of their fun activity, which was really cool. And then after I had taken my photos, I went downstairs to just explore the museum a little bit. And down in the basement, they have this really cool exhibit going on right now. Um, And it's all of the past covers of Superman comic books. And all of those comic covers come from our comic book collection, the largest in the world, which was really cool to see. That is really cool. Um, I was actually just watching the Justice League trailer, and it had like Superman in it for like five minutes. And then it jumped into everybody else. Um, but I always think it's super interesting how large superheroes and comic books have been in cinema lately. Because um, I feel like they've always had a presence. And recently they just are huge. Like Wonder Woman was phenomenal. I loved watching it. But it also blew up. I mean, it was one of the biggest grossing films of, I think, like when did it come out? The summer? Um, which I thought was super interesting because I, I don't know if everyone expected that, but she was huge. Yeah, we, we I saw a Wonder Woman this summer with my daughter Hannah, and it was just, uh, I loved it, mostly because I loved just being with her while she was getting so fired <laughs> up about it, you know, and she, you know, she we, we left that movie, and, you know, she was... She was really excited. She was totally empowered, and I really thought that the the film did a really good job. I mean, of course, it's an exciting film. It has all the mm-hmm. explosions and all the superhero kind and the of things. Drama. Exactly, <laughs> but um, just being in there with her and seeing how excited she was to have a to have a strong female hero who who just did everything. She was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she definitely was. Is she going to be Wonder Woman for Halloween? I know that's a really popular costume this year. She's gone with Dracula. I think she's gone oh, with the good. vampire. She's going back yes. to basics. Last year it was a lot of Harry Potter. So she's going back to basics. Yeah, sometimes year. the basics are the best, to be yeah, honest. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, it was really interesting that you were very into Wonder Woman. Um, and actually, that Batman versus Superman, excuse me, was filmed at the Broad. So MSU has quite the connection to superheroes and comics. And it's a perfect way to introduce our guests that we have with us in the studio today. Um, we will be talking with resident comic expert Ryan Clater. 
and he is an assistant professor at Michigan State University, where he teaches comic studio courses and the comics minor, and also leads the MSU Comics Book Forum here at Michigan State University every year. So Ryan is going to talk to us about his own comic series that he has out um, and his current podcast called the Michigan State University Comic Art and Graphic Novel Podcast, right? You guys are getting all this right. <laughs> and about <laughs> letting it roll out, yeah. And about everything else comics here at MSU. So Ryan, it's really great to have you here on the podcast. I'm really excited for this episode because it'll be fun to talk about. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself. Uh, well, as you mentioned, I'm a professor here at Michigan State University in the Department of Art, Art History and Design, and I've been teaching comics courses for almost 10 years now, and recently we, uh, we spearheaded a comic art and graphic novel minor here at Michigan State that is now on the books, and it's about a year old now. Uh, it's an interdisciplinary minor between the art and English departments, and so you take classes in both, which makes a lot of sense because comics are art and words mm -hmm. traditionally, and um, you know, so you get a little bit of both in the curriculum. Uh, so we have a couple of comic art classes, uh, studio courses, I should say. We have a fundamentals and an advanced course, as well as um, a graphic novel course in the English department and some uh, prerequisite courses in drawing and even a track where you can choose if you want to tailor the minor toward a more art or English specific minor. Wow, that's wow. really interesting. So how did you get into comics originally? Um, wow. Okay. So <laughs> we can go in the Wayback Machine to when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And uh, I, I was not a great reader. And uh, my parents were very supportive of anything I would pick up to read. And, uh, but I was really into artwork. And so when I saw comics, that was my gateway into reading initially. And so uh, I bought comics, or I should say my parents bought comics <laughs> voraciously <laughs> for me. And uh, yeah, I've, uh, I was very heavily into comics as a child and then forgot about them around the time of high school and then got back into them after college. And uh, I've been down the rabbit hole ever since. I didn't really think about how that would be a, a good way to entice young yeah. people that aren't that into reading. That would it would definitely be a good way to get them more excited about reading something. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It's always nice to have like a visual component, especially when you're younger too. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Did you draw uh, when you were younger? All the time. Big, yeah. yeah. Uh, very early memories I have of drawing my Care Bears and uh, I would draw <laughs> on fabric and my mom would make them into pillows, you know, as young as, you know, three or four years old. So as long as I can remember, I've been drawing. That's so cute. <laughs> um, so... Since you have been around comics since you were young, did that have any effect on you creating your own comic? You know, it's funny. I didn't really try my hand at comics until after undergrad, and I'm not sure why. I drew a lot, but I never drew comics specifically. And, um, you know, I was in college at the tail end of my comics hiatus. And uh, a buddy of mine asked me, hey, do you mind if uh, you take me to the comic book store? Because I was lucky enough to have a car my last year of college. And I said, you know, OK, fine. I used to do that. I'll take you over there. And uh, I was looking around as he was picking up his stuff. And I picked up a book by my old favorite artist just on a whim. 
and uh, it was all over from there. I just <laughs> got very heavily back into comics and thought, wow, there's really some amazingly mm-hmm. thoughtful stuff being produced in this medium. And uh, I started reading a bunch, and that led to um, me getting an internship at Marvel Comics in New York City. So That's, I did that so for cool. a summer. And uh, after that, I started creating my own work shortly thereafter. Uh, it was like the summer of comics for me. I was taking classes at the uh, Joe Kubert School of uh, Comic and Cartoon Art, School of Cartooning. I'm trying to remember the exact name, <laughs> but it's Joe Kubert School in New Jersey. Uh, so I was, you know, biking and training and walking to Marvel and biking to the Joe Kubert School. And uh, it was uh, a, an intensive summer of comics and exercise. <laughs> what was it like working at Marvel? It was uh, an incredible learning experience. Uh, there were two interns that summer, myself and Ang Lee's son. I don't know if you know Crouching oh, wow. Tiger, Hidden Dragon, oh, yeah. or the Hulk movie. or uh, But anyway, his dad was the director on that. And so we were the two interns that summer. And uh, initially, I got there, and uh, they had me doing very menial tasks, like <laughs> chopping up FedEx boxes and putting them in the recycle bin. Oh my and at the time, I had already been teaching. And, uh, you know, so, so I did this for a day. And at the end of the day, I said, you know, look, I, I have some skills that I think could be of better use here than filling the recycle bin. And I said, you know, I teach classes in Adobe Illustrator and Photoshop and web tools and graphic design courses, you know, Put me to work. I'm ready to work. And so that mo- that summer was the uh, time that the Punisher movie was coming out. And so they put me on the Punisher style guide. So I was creating logos for the Punisher licensees. And, you know, I eventually saw these logos coming out in comic book stores as I would go around signing on tour later in my life. And, um, you know, that was a trip because I'm like, oh, I did that. <laughs> and, That's me. Yeah. And the, uh, it was so funny. The store owner where I was at was like, really? Here, have one. <laughs> so oh. like, I've never seen this before. So that was neat to see. Um, but I would filter around to the bullpen, learning industry technical standards for uh, scanning an artwork. You know, the artists would send physical copies of their work into Marvel. And so uh, I would scan an artwork, process that. Um, I got to work with the last in-house letterer. His name is Dave Sharp. Um, so I don't know how familiar you are with the comics industry, but um, essentially all talent is hired out. There's nobody who physically walks into the offices of Marvel or DC or Dark Horse or Image anymore. Uh, everyone is freelance. And so I felt very lucky to work with the last in-house letterer there. Um, and his name was Dave Sharp, as I mentioned, and he's had this, you know, long hair and a big beard, this metal looking <laughs> guy. And, uh, and I popped my head in there cause I was, you know, precocious post-college fellow. And I said, Hey, you know, how you doing, Dave? Can I help you letter something today? And he's like, uh, come back in a couple days. Come back. And, and he, he did this repeatedly for a few weeks. And I kept coming back every few days and said, hey, how can I help you out? And he's like, I'll have something for you in a couple days. And one day he stuck his head out of the door and he said, hey, Ryan. And he motioned in, come here. And so he uh, gave me a script, just like we have in front of us here. And he said, here, 
letter this comic. And I said, uh, do you want to give me any instructions or anything? He's like, nope, go for it. We'll talk about it afterward. And so I lettered all 24 pages of an Inhumans issue. And uh, after I was done, he took me through page by page, panel by panel, balloon by balloon, and critiqued exactly what I was doing. And consequently, I am very comfortable with uh, talking about lettering techniques, uh, which I do in my class here, uh, in addition to many other things. But um, And I also sat in on print and production meetings and all sorts of different stuff. Well, that, that's such a great uh, story about being proactive in your, in your internship program, mm-hmm. in your education, and just being uh, tenacious about going back, returning back, but, but you know, making that experience what you need it to be. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I was sort of an anomaly in the internship program for Marvel. Um, they want people who are in school. They want students. And I was fresh out of college, but I was teaching at a local community college. And at the same time, I was also taking a class, a figure drawing class, because I wanted to continue improving my artwork. And uh, when I called them up to talk about the internship, they said, you know, we're confused. Are you a student or a teacher? And I told them, I'm whatever you want me to be. Yeah. <laughs> I'm everything and nothing. It's and they fine. said, well, you have to be a student. And I said, well, I can prove I'm a student. And they said, okay, send in your application. And, you know, the rest is history. So this experience sounds like it helped you a lot in what was to come afterwards. And I know that since then you have created your own comic entitled And Then One Day. Will you tell us a little bit about that? How did you come up with the idea for it and what work put into it? Sure. So as I mentioned, post-college, I was reading a lot of comics and I found myself gravitating toward uh, nonfiction, true to life, autobiographical stories. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try my hand at that. And uh, so that's what I did. I started that series and um, it sort of switched formats as the series has progressed over the years. Uh, It started out as sort of a page a day format where each page uh, was a different day from my life, kind of like a comic book or a diary in comic book form. And I did several issues of that until I launched into grad school, at which time I thought, I'm probably going to have to stop doing this comics thing because I was in a a fine art program and I didn't (laughs) think that they would look very kindly upon comics there. And so I put that on hiatus, but I didn't want to forget what I was doing. So I put myself on this exercise to draw an illustration each day accompanied by some text. It wasn't really comics, but it was more like an illustrated journal. And I would take this sketchbook around with me everywhere I went from coffee shops to class to lunch to wherever I was. And eventually my professors started looking over my shoulder and what I was doing in class. (laughs) And they said, you know, what are you doing here? And I told them about this comics thing. And they said, why aren't you doing this? And I said, (laughs) because I'm an idiot. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I, I had this notion that it would not be accepted in school. And thankfully, I had many professors who were very accepting of this. And they said, you know what? We even accepted you based on some of your mm-hmm. comics work. So you should be exploring this here. And I did. So my fifth book was uh, that illustrated journal uh, with some comics accompanying it too. And that led into the next project where I started researching Uh, autobiography. And I found this theory which states that autobio is no more truthful or valid than fiction, which got me thinking, you know, what could I do to make it any more uh, objective than it already is? 
So I developed this process where I interviewed a bunch of people in my life with questions about me, but I didn't interview them face to face because I didn't want to influence their responses. So I made these questions in the form of a box of flashcards and put each person in an isolated room with just the box of questions and a tape recorder and let them have at it. So my sixth book is this sort of hybrid of autobiography and documentary. Um, you know, I never appear in the book aside from the introduction to explain what this is about. And aside from that, it's just other people talking about me. But yet at the same time, I have this hand in the book. I'm illustrating every page. I'm illustrating what they look like. I'm the editor. I'm deciding what goes in and what gets cut. Uh, so it's this uh, interesting project that led to my next book uh, called Autobiographical Conversations. And it's a 100-page book uh, featuring a conversation between my then uh, graduate professor, uh, my advising professor on my committee, Harry Polkenhorn, and myself talking about autobiographical theory and how it relates to comics specifically. So uh, that was sort of the progression of my work through comics. So one of the interesting opportunities you have then when you're thinking about comics and how they are made and and what goes into the creation of them are a wide range of issues around image and word, questions of truth, objectivity, the role of the author. So, I mean, are those some of the things you investigate in the, in the minor too? Um, so in the minor, we're focusing more on uh, the mechanics of comics, and I want students to be able to explore whatever topic they choose. So if they're interested in autobiography, I'm happy to talk with them about that. Or if they're interested in uh, superheroes, I'm happy to talk with them about that. Or if they're interested in nonfiction comics, like I have a student right now who's doing some work with small farmers and how large farming affects small farming and doing this documentary comic on that. So within their interests, I want them to be able to take this arsenal of tools that they've amassed over the course of the semester and use that to whatever end they want. Uh, so I don't want to impose my personal preference on them. Uh, I try to open up a toolbox of comics mechanics for them to work within. So, but well, what about that, the sort of bigger theoretical questions about those, the interface between author and, and narrative and <laughs> image and text and those kinds of things? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's certainly stuff that we discuss and we read a number of books from, you know, everyone from Will Eisner to Scott McCloud, uh, and they talk about this text image interplay and how that can work. Uh, you know, if they're in parallel or tandem or working together or uh, seemingly uh, different narratives at the same time and how that can inform one another. You know, for example, um, if you had uh, some prose, some text that said, uh, I am the coolest kid in school, you might come up with an image of a child in your head. But if you had the image of uh, quintessentially nerdy kid with glasses, uh, you know, kind of meek and sitting in his chair drawing, that might be someone very different. But if you superimpose that text over top of that image, you might also have a very different opinion of, well, who is this kid and how is his uh, sense of self working and how is that developed? Um, so you can really think about how text and image can interplay with one another too. And yes, of course, that's something that we talk about. Yeah, you can tell that's my... 
philosophy background coming in. Those are the things that really interest me, that kind of play. And I mean, I wish I could draw that way because that, that play of all the various kinds of things you can play with in, in that genre is really interesting. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned you want to create a mechanical toolbox sort of for your students, but you also have the Michigan State University Comic Art and Graphic Novel Podcast. And would you consider that sort of a tool for your students as well? Yeah. In fact, I mention the podcast in class, and sometimes I'll even bring in excerpts from the award-winning cartoonists that we have on the podcast, because uh, uh, inevitably they'll talk about stuff that we're talking about in class. And so it's nice for them to hear there's not just a single talking head in front of them that's saying this stuff. This is validated mm -hmm. by award-winning cartoonists and people in the field. So, uh, yes, I try to bring in snippets of that to class. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of the work that we've done on the MSU Comic mm -hmm. Art and Graphic Novel podcast. And you actually just started season two in September, correct? That's right. So would you be able to tell us just a little bit more about it? Sure. So the podcast is... Uh, it has three parts for every episode. The first part is uh, some brief announcements of comics-related events going on around MSU and the surrounding area. And the second part, I interview our Special Collections Comics bibliographer, Randy Scott, who has amassed the largest public collection of comics in the world. That's and incredible. it sits in the basement of the Michigan State University Library in the middle of our campus. So uh, that was a huge perk for me mm -hmm. to move to Michigan, to Michigan State, uh, when I lived in California for uh, 20 some odd years before we moved here. Um, so we have the biggest collection of comics in the world. And the third segment is the main portion of the podcast mm -hmm. where I interview a professionally practicing award-winning cartoonist in the field. Okay, very nice. And then so you get to meet all these great people and talk about relevant things for your students. And I think that's sort of one thing that you wish like your students can gain from it is just like relevancy. But what do you enjoy most about it? Um, well, if I told my eight-year-old self <laughs> that in 30 years I would be I would have a job where I get to talk to award-winning cartoonists mm -hmm. and get paid for it. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would believe <laughs> my 38-year-old self. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I really enjoy talking about the medium, talking about how it's used, talking about the artist's work, talking about their opinion on what they were trying to produce mm -hmm. at the time, um, and also their history and their background. You know, each episode, we talk about the artist's beginnings, you know, where they were born, where they grew up, how their family influenced them. And I think that one of the things the podcast does is demystify this image of a super artist. Mm -hmm. Like, that's unattainable. I could never do that. And if you listen to any of these podcasts, all of them had very humble beginnings. And uh, that's another thing that I mentioned to my students is that, you know, this is attainable. This mm -hmm. is something that you can do. And here are a couple seasons worth of mm. <laughs> <laughs> artists backing this up. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I really enjoy talking with the artists and getting their stories. I think you're also a very prime example on how it's attainable. I mean, like you said, if you told your eight-year-old self that this would be where you are today, you probably wouldn't believe it. But like you're here. So I think that's really inspiring for students as well. Yeah, I know I, I would be inspired. <laughs> I, I have to remind myself of that from time yeah. to time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's such a great 
aspect of podcasting in general. It's, it doesn't take a huge amount of equipment. I mean, obviously, you can do it with a lot of, of, of equipment, but you know, just bringing people together around a microphone is, is transformative for, for the kind of conversation you can have. What were some of the best experiences that you've had with your podcast? Who have you enjoyed speaking with the most? Has anything else come from it afterwards? Um, let's see. Uh, so I got to meet my longtime hero. His name is Sergio Aragones. And <clears throat> I'm going to try not to get choked up. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was six, seven, eight years old, I read his comic, Grew the Wander, and I still read it today. And I was able to invite him to the comics forum as a keynote speaker and bring him in the studio and talk about his life. And he has some amazing stories of coming to the United States with literally $20 and a portfolio of cartoons and moving to New York and surviving there and trying to get work as a cartoonist and somebody telling him, oh, your your work is uh, very different, very strange. You should go to Mad Magazine. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. They're, they're too big for me. I, I could never get in. I need to get some smaller work too, first. And eventually he went in and um, uh, Projias, who does Spy versus Spy, used to, was there and uh, you know, they were able to speak Spanish together. Uh, his English, evidently, at the time, was very poor or non-existent, according to him. And uh, so they hit it off as soon as he walked in the office, and Projias uh, uh, walked him around and introduced him to people. And he's been working for Mad Magazine for over 50 years, uh, only missing one issue in that 50-year span. Wow, that's so crazy. if you've ever cracked open Mad Magazine, he does a mad look at whatever. It could be a mad look at the movies or uh, the most recent issue was a mad look at vaping. And (laughs) so some really great satirical work. But also if you look in the margins of Mad Magazine, there's these tiny, tiny comics and he does those as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So on that podcast, I got to tell him how much his work meant to me and uh, that he was essentially the reason why Mm -hmm. I got into reading and got into words and got into uh, comics. So uh, that was pretty gratifying for me. That's incredible. Sounds like a great opportunity. Sounds like you get to go do some really cool things. At the beginning of that, you mentioned the comics forums. Um, And I know that that's something that we've talked about a little bit separately. There's an article about your comics forum on our website, but will you tell us a little bit about it here? Yeah. uh, The comics forum is uh, an event that I sort of walked into when I moved here in 2008, 2009. Um, so the Comics Forum was happened for one year before I got here. And when I moved to Michigan, I was very interested in being involved in comics. And I found out about this and uh, started working with uh, Professor Ann Larrabee, who was the spearhead behind the first year. And uh, in 2009, for its second year, I was heavily involved and... Um, after that year, it was in danger of lapsing. And they basically said, well, I think it's not going to happen again. And I said to Anne and another professor here, Gary Hoppenstand, I-, I want this to continue and I will take the reins and I will become director. And I've been director ever since. Um, so now here we are um, 10 years in. We've had 10 comics forum. We're uh, approaching our 11th year in 2018 in February. And uh, we have grown the forum from a single day, one keynote speaker, three artist event into a multi-day, three dozen creator, two keynote speaker, um, 
you know, multiple events. We have uh, comics exhibitions associated with it, um, reading discussions, movie screenings, ancillary signings. Uh, It's really become quite an event. And we have scholars who apply to be part of our event. Uh, Oh, I almost forgot to mention, we have uh, a number of scholarly panel discussions that happen throughout the day on Saturday as well. So we have uh, scholars who apply to be a part of the event, not only nationally, but internationally to come here and deliver their talks at the MSU Comics Forum. So I'm very proud of where we've been able to grow that. And it hasn't been done on my own. Uh, I have a committee of folks who helped me do this. Um, Zach Cruzy is our panel coordinator who's been instrumental in helping raise the awareness to scholars. Jay Jaycott is our artist alley coordinator. And uh, we have a new promotions coordinator. His name is Jason Larson. So uh, that's kind of the core committee who helped put this event on. So it sounds like you really created something that draws so many people together. And I think that really says something not just about what we have here at Michigan State University, but also about comics in general. So why do you think that comics are so important and draw so many people together? Well, I I think it's a really unique medium, one that you can do things uh, in that aren't possible in prose alone or uh, film or television or plays, you know, each medium has their own unique uh, ways in which they can present information. Like, uh, for example, there's, uh, I'm thinking of a comic called Rabbit Head by Rebecca Dart, and it's this uh, surrealistic story that has this forked narrative. So essentially there's a single strand of comment or uh, of panels moving along a page mm-hmm. and eventually something happens where this narrative forks. Uh, there's uh, sort of a diagrammatic explosion of something that happens in this panel and moves above and you see a tier of panels moving above and another one below and eventually those fork off too. And so eventually you have these seven concurrently running narratives all on one page and you can intake this either in a single tier fashion, like what's happening on this frame, and then move to the next. Or you can step back and view this as an entire page. Uh, And if you think about trying to intake that in another medium, like film, for example, yes, you could do picture in picture and show seven things at once, but your brain can't intake that Mm -hmm. all at once. Or in a prose novel, you can't type words on top of each other and still read them. But in comics, you have this very unique medium where you can show uh, concurrent narratives and you can intake them at your own pace. So um, I'm trying to remember where we started. (laughs) (laughs) Why are they, why are comics important and what do people get from engaging them? Okay, thanks. So, uh, (laughs) so yeah, I think they're important because they have these uh, idiosyncratic ways in Mm -hmm. which they can present information. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. And it also kind of goes back to how when you were younger and you had trouble reading, it was a different way. So I think that is also really interesting. And um, I personally don't have a lot of experience with comics, but I've like picked them up from time to time and just scrolled through them. And they really are incredible with the art and the words because it all just merges together to create one big thing, you know. So that is awesome. Um, and then just a final question. Do you have a favorite comic or comics? <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> um, I usually point back to Sergio Aragones. He has uh, some really great wordless comics. He has a really great comic called Grew the Wanderer, which is this uh, sort of satirical um, 
Conan the Barbarian character. He's very dumb in the head, but very good with his <laughs> swords, and that makes for all sorts of wacky hijinks. But they also imbue these stories. I say they because Sergio works with mm-hmm. a writer named Mark Evanier, uh, who is incredibly smart and woven into these narratives that on surface can be um, disarmingly silly. Also talk about present day uh, political problems that we might have or environmental problems. And uh, I think it's really interesting how they can, um, as I mentioned, disarm you with Mm -hmm. surface, but then imbue that with a very important message. Uh, Well, it was really great having you on the podcast today. We were really, really excited to have you because we know that you are a podcast veteran. Your podcast (laughs) won the People's Choice Podcast, was nominated for the People's Choice Podcast Award. So um, we are really excited to have you and to hear more about your experience. I'm a one-season podcast veteran. (laughs) Um, All right, so we're going to start wrapping it up with our acknowledgments. We want to thank our technical producer, Dan Trago, our wonderful marketing director, Ryan Kilcoin, and, of course, the College of Arts and Letters. Check out all of the college podcasts at cal.msu.edu slash about slash podcasts. And finally, the ideas and opinions expressed on this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any official entities of Michigan State University. And be sure to tune in next time where we talk about MSU at Food Initiative, which is a public awareness campaign geared at listening to consumers and providing information and knowledge to make informed decisions about food and its impact on our health and the planet. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks so much for having me, guys. (laughs) Of course. Go green. Go Go white. white.